0: particular message is something that God is working in me at many layers, okay? So this message could be something that we could go back 20 years and we could say, this is something that God was working in me. And yet we could go back to this week and say, this is something God is working in me. And I think there is a spiritual truth just in that, that it's not like we just master a technique in Christianity, and it's like, okay, check, I'm done with that. It's that you're constantly building. Uh, I've been fascinated with, because uh, I didn't know anything about gymnastics until Avi got into gymnastics. I mean, it's not that I didn't know anything. That's a, that's a bad way of saying it, because I grew up in the Mary Lou Retton, I think, 1984 Olympics, and with the rest of America, we're suddenly interested in gymnastics. We're like, oh, look at this. This is cool. And, but I, I didn't spend a lot of time studying it. Let's just put it that way. But what's interesting is every basic movement that she has in gymnastics, she still uses in her advanced movements. And I'm just intrigued by that because that's sort of like She's still doing rolls, but they're not rolls. They're still the same movement, but it's more advanced. And that's the same with this. This is an advanced movement of soul but it's based on the same smaller movement. So I think no matter where you're at in your Christian life, you can take this movement either as a simple tumble and a forward roll, or as a uh, front flip. In other words, it's it's a more advanced version of the same movement. Okay. So to the degree that God has you, this is where we appropriate. And we can always esteem the most mature version. Like if you're getting on skis for the first time, you could esteem someone jumping out of a helicopter and landing on a double black diamond, right? And skiing down the hill, uh, the the mountain with a whoop. And you could say, that's the way I wanna ski today. And yet by the end of the day, you're gonna be happy that you're standing and you didn't break your leg and you made it down a green and maybe even transferred to a low level blue. Okay, and that's actually for a first day of skiing, very impressive right? And so at the degree or the, to the place where you're at, appropriate this message to take you to the next level. Steeled for action. Understanding supernatural resolution. So Annie was putting together this graphic and she's, she said, I know that uh, you probably recognize this graphic, Eric, but it's still a good one. And I agreed. This is like, I think this is on our homepage for a while, this very graphic. But that just shows you, this is like what Ellerslie's about. We're steeled for action. So I like it. I didn't mind being associated with this, with this message. So let's look at the idea of the verb to steal, because that isn't, when, when you, if you're hearing this via podcast, you're thinking, it's to steal. How horrible. It's not S-T-E-A-L, like to rob from something. Uh, you're not a thief. That's not what this is. This is like the steel of a blade, okay, like a, a swordsman. And so, To steal something means to fit with steel as by pointing, edging, or overlaying. So that's pretty cool. That wasn't what I was meaning by it when I was putting the title together, but I still liked it. And then to cause to resemble steel in some way, that's to steal something. That's that's interesting. And how about this one? This is what I was after. To render inflexible, unyielding, determined. So when something is being steeled, it is being rendered determined. That's where you get my term resolute. And so here was the illustration in dictionary.com. He steeled himself to perform the dangerous task. I happen to like the statement that they use, so I put it up there. I like that. The dangerous task. Well, this has a lot of different options that could fit our worlds. Uh, The difficult task, the unpleasant task, the awkward task, The risky task, the painful task, the challenging task. Now, just look at that list up there on the screen. Each one of those supplies a reason to not do something. And many of us use that list and those adjectives in there, because it's not just the task. Many of us are willing to do the task. But when you add that adjective in there, it really mm, sort of gums up the works, right? Uh, Difficult. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm willing to do the task. What do you mean by difficult? Okay, you add the word difficult to it, and immediately causes us to pull back. It's like, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for this. And how about unpleasant? Boy, that's not a good word. The unpleasant task? How about this one, guys? The awkward task? Welcome to Christianity. I've said this to the students a lot, but there is something about carrying Jesus into this world, which is not built around Jesus. It's built around self. And to proclaim Jesus, it is innately awkward. And when we try and get rid of the awkward, usually we end up compromising the gospel. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. In the arts, the arts are famous for trying to get rid of the cheese out of Christianity. And I'm not a fan of cheesiness either, okay? Just to be honest with you, I can't stand cheesy Christian stuff. It's not like I'm like, oh, I love that. Why do you love it? It's cheesy. Okay, there's there's nothing about that that's attractive to me. However, I understand. You stick a gospel presentation in the middle of a movie, and what does everyone do? It's like, oh, no, there it is again. Because it's too straightforward. We can't be that straightforward. We need to be artistic. And so I, I get it. Okay, and there are creative ways, and I've appreciated the different ways over the years that people have found to reveal the kingdom of heaven without just coming up and bopping someone in the nose. Okay, I appreciate that. However, what we're oftentimes trying to avoid, if we were to break it down, is the innate awkwardness in representing Christ in a world that really doesn't want to hear about him. And so this is the awkward task, the risky task, the painful task, the challenging task. So yeah, we may be open to the task, but hey, when you put those adjectives in front of it, I don't know, I'm not exactly sure that I'm the one you should be looking for. What I want us to recognize is this is our job assignment. God, you know, here you are, and you're saying, Jesus, I love you. I'm available to you. And he looks back and he says, so you're available for the task? I am. I'm available for the task of living out the Christian life. All right, are you available for the task if I put all the adjectives in? Well, wait a minute, what adjectives? You, you haven't heard Eric's message? Uh, it's called Stealed for Action. Uh, The adjectives, difficult, unpleasant, awkward, risky, painful, and challenging. Are you still up for the task? You see, this is the measurement of readiness. Are we ready just for the task? And I'm putting quotes around that. The easy, the comfortable, the one that gives you an applause, the one where everyone says, thank you, that was so meaningful to me. That task, that's the one that we think we're signing up for. The one where everyone hugs us afterwards and cries, says, oh, you've changed my life. Like, oh, I like that. Okay, (laughs) I'll do that. But this task, this one with the adjectives in there, I'm not so sure. I wait a minute here. I, I didn't know that this came with the package. Read the New Testament. This is the package. This is what you signed up for. When you said yes to Jesus, that's what you were saying yes to. Didn't did no one tell you that? And as a result, this is why a message like this is important. Because when you begin to feel a little uh, out of place with the task all of a sudden, a little undermanned, un- outgunned, and you know, uh, unable, you recognize you need something. You need something more than what you have in this package to be able to perform that task. That's okay. God knows that. He knows that you need Him. And so as a result, to recognize that hesitancy is not bad, but you need to allow the Spirit of God to touch it and to keep his finger on it. And you're like, God, why do you have your finger on that? Why, why do you have your finger on that? Couldn't we get in? You try and distract God with other things. Like, hey, God, let's have a prayer time over here. Hey, God, I'd like to sing a worship song to you over here. And he's like, no, I'd like to deal with this. Because there's things I want you to do, and I want you to do them boldly and courageously. But for whatever reason, you keep coming up with excuses not to do them. You're like, oh, you really want to go there? You really want to talk about that? I mean, We look around and we're like, how come no one else seems to be having this discussion with God? Why is it me? I feel like this is my life in a nutshell. It's like, God, the moment I get comfortable in my Christianity, God has to shove me. It's like he never allows me to just stay in a nice, sweet, cozy place. You ever had that where you start to get close to a cozy place? You could even see it 10 feet away. Like, I'm almost there, I'm almost there. And then suddenly something happens that makes it a little less cozy. And the first thing you should say is, Thank you, Lord. Wink, smile. I know what you're doing, Lord. You're sharpening me, because you know that that little cozy place would be my undoing. You know that I need to be sharpened. See, could you, if you were a pencil, wouldn't you want to be a dull pencil? Just think about that. If you were a pencil, being a dull pencil just sounds so much more pleasant. Just you, you don't need to stick me back in that sharpener, okay? I, I just it, It's hard. Okay, you got to peel away layers, and I just don't like that. Just, could I dull a little? And I think there's something about us as humans that is like pencils. We would prefer to be dull. Just keep using me. Just keep using me the way it is. But I don't want to have to go through that process again. Always be ready, night. <laughs> so at Ellerslie, some of you are familiar with this. We have this tradition. I don't know where it came from. There was something back in the day where this sort of came out, and some of you are probably wanting to put your finger on that and say, boy, if we could go back in time and erase that moment when this happened, boy, we would have brought a lot more peace to the hearts and minds of Ellerslie students throughout the years. We have discussed this as a staff multiple times. In fact, I think we brought it up even this past week, that always be ready night, which here's how it works. Nathan is usually up in front. It could be Philip, I guess, at times. I'm not sure, Uh, but I picture Nathan, and he has like this jar canister and he shakes it, and it just intimidates everyone in the room. Why? <laughs> because everyone that's in the room, their name is in that canister. <laughs> and he, he has, I think he has two different things. He's going to pull out a, a topic or a theme or a scripture. There's various ways we could do it. And then he's going to give them like a minute or so, or maybe even 30 seconds. I don't remember what it is. is it two minutes? Oh, they have two minutes. Oh, that's a long time. And then he's going to pull out a name to go with that theme or that topic that gets to now speak on it. And it's this idea of leaning forward in your life to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to be used. I'm willing to be used at a moment's notice. Even though I don't know that I want to be, I'm willing. Okay? And so if someone is so adamant that they don't want their name in there because it's just it's literally causing them dread, well, then we'll take their name out. However, there's something about saying, I'm willing to have my name in the jar. It's, it's like a, something that's similar to our spiritual lives. I'm willing, God, to have my name in the jar, in your jar. That when you're looking for someone to share the gospel, that you would come to me. That you wouldn't have to bypass me and go, well, Eric wouldn't do it. Let's look for someone else. No, no, God, I don't want you to bypass me. I want my name in the jar. Please, could you, could, could you, and it doesn't make it easy. That's part of what this is. You need to be steeled. There is something naturally about us which is very unlike steel. It is way too soft for the challenge. It's like one of those foam swords from Walmart. You know, it's just like, you know, it looks like a sword, but it doesn't quite function like a sword. And that's us. We need to be steeled. The double back handspring on beam. So this comes from this past uh, week uh, with Abby. She was in a, a gymnastics camp and they had these like, men, these gymnastics coaches from uh, University of Utah that came in and these guys are tough and they don't allow parents in there because I don't think parents want their kids yelled at. You know, it's like the parents like, hey, you know, be nice to my kid. And so Abby is uh, is on a beam. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a gymnastics beam, okay, but they're not very wide. And Abby has been able to do a back handspring on a beam, but a double back handspring is just like, it leads to a certain, for a gymnast, it's like, uh, I don't know terror is the right word. there's something because you can't see. You don't have the visual and you have to land on a beam twice without really being able to calibrate your position again. And so she was up there, and she one of her her statements is, "I do not want to cry because once you cry in the gym, uh, and it's not she doesn't cry because she's sad. I think girls are just different than guys, okay? And so in, she's always talking about all the girls that are crying in gymnastics. But then they are fine the next minute. It's just that, that they're trying to process this terrorizing move that could break their neck. And the coaches seem to never have any care about that. That's And so Abby, Abby's saying, I do not want to cry because then everyone comes up to me and says, oh, it's okay. I was there too. And she's like, I don't want that. I don't want the attention on me. So she was doing her best not to cry in this moment. And even as, you know, a tear begins to bubble and she's like, (laughs) then the coach, this is the coach's statement, don't cry. I hate crying. That's encouraging. But in a sense, we are in a situation not altogether different then being asked to do a double back handspr- double what is it double back handspring on beam in front of a hundred people, and we 've never done it before. we don 't really feel comfortable with this, and is there a different way to do this? Christianity is moving us forward, just like gymnastics. you get the basics and then you keep adding to it more advancement you don 't go backwards in your advancement you keep moving forward, and when you move forward you go through these moments of saying, but God, could I cry a little right now? Don't cry. (laughs) I hate crying. I don't think that that's God's exact voice on the matter. However, you can recognize here, I could imagine a military commander saying, this is when we move forward. March. And you don't really have that caring voice always just sort of lingering where God's like, oh, I just want you to know that even though you're not doing, willing to do the double back handspring. I just want you to know I love you. Sometimes God wants to kick you in the rear end and say, move! He's a very gentle God, though. And he's very gracious, and he's better than the coaches at Utah. You know, it's, he's, he, But there's something in that that I think we could use in our soul. We could use the military voice, the boom, that says, let's do it. Come on. I've given you grace for this. Now let's do the double back handspring on beam." kakopatheo, to endure hardness, walk through challenge, face crisis, carry difficulty. Isn't it interesting that there's a Greek word that actually means this? It means doing the double back handspring on beam. It's like, whoa, God, why is that in Scripture? I didn't know we had to do that. It's to endure hardness. It's an actual concept, kakopatheo, to walk through any challenge, to face crisis and carry difficulty, Paul is going to speak to Timothy and tell him how to face Cacopatheo. He's going to tell him exactly what to do with this difficulty. 2 Timothy 2.3, Cacopatheo as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, avoid it like the plague. He says, when you get it, handle that Cacopatheo as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see... If, there was, if we were to look at it the opposite way, Cacopatheo, what are some of our other options of how we could Cacopatheo? All we have to do is look at our own lives. When we face hardships, when we face difficulties, how do we handle it? Do we handle it as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. You see, this is why a message like this is important because this is in the fabric of healthy Christianity but we have grown up in a soft culture to the point when any difficulty comes, we fumble the ball. It's like this one guy that's a great running back and he can you know, make his cuts and you know, do flips in the air and do all these things. And when he makes the touchdown, do a backflip in the end zone and go, yeah. However, when the defense hits him, he has no grit for that. He immediately goes out of bounds. And like, what was that? Uh, that's called a hit. Yeah, but I didn't sign up for that. That hurt. You see, if you want to be a great running back, you need to cack up a fail as a good running back. And and to be a good running back, you need to know how to take a hit. In fact, as a good running back, you need to know how to deliver a hit. You need to know when to stick your helmet down and your shoulder pad into them before they get you. See, You need to think like a good running back. You need to think like a good Christian. You've been given the truth of Jesus Christ and God does want you to get into the end zone, and He doesn't mind maybe a little victory dance when you get into the end zone. No penalty for that. However, you have a job to do along the way, and that is to kakopatheo as a good Christian, to endure the hits and the trials. That you have mean defensive players that are growling as they're coming at you. I still remember the old Oakland Raiders team. That was what they were back then. Are they still the Oakland Raiders now? I, they they changed the L.A. Raiders and. I don't know where they're at now. I stopped following football, praise God. Uh, freed up my life tremendously. However, they were mean guys. And they would literally growl. And when they'd get you down, they'd like spit in your face, like in the, when, when you were down on the ground after they tackled you. And they would, you know, like, you did. You know, one of those types of things, like, whoa. So what would you tell that guy that just got tackled by one of those mean old Raiders, Kakapatheo, like a good football player? Get back up, stare him down. You take him out. Don't wait for him to take you out. You take him out. Kakapatheo, Come on, guys! Endure this difficulty as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. So how does a good soldier function? So let's go through a short list of good soldier actions during hardness. Smile at difficulty. It's interesting, but if you were to study war history and you were to study soldiers that changed the world, you're going to notice a weird quality in them. And that is that they were good-natured, and they knew how to laugh in the darkest moments. It's oftentimes called gallows humor. You know, like uh, when, when a whole bunch of men are about ready to be hung on the gallows, that they start cracking jokes uh, and laughing about it. Because it's a way, you know, people would say, well, that's a psychological way of sort of dealing with the trauma. maybe. However, that's what we as Christians are called to do. I don't think we would call it, as Christians, gallows humor. You know, we're about to die, and we're cracking jokes. I guess it's just a psychological thing that they're doing to sort of make it through. They're about to be fed to a wild beast. I guess this is just what humans do. We're supposed to rejoice and sing songs. We're supposed to leap for joy because we have the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Kakapatheo as a good Christian, smile at difficulty. Embrace challenge. Laugh at impossibilities, sing amidst the falling artillery shells. When I was studying World War I, it's so intense that you can hardly breathe. Okay, World War II was bad. World War I falls into a completely different category. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into, trench warfare didn't exist. And suddenly they start digging these trenches and they didn't understand what a trench life was going to be like. They didn't sign up for this. At that time, uh, war was still romantic. And you go off and the women kiss you and you come back and they put, you know, laurels around your neck and, you know, they carry you through the city. Oh, it's just wonderful. I want to do that when I grow up. Well, World War I shook all the romance off of, of war. And you're in this trench, which is full of mud and it's lacquered. The walls are lacquered with flies. You have dead bodies that died in the trench, but you can't get out because they'll take you out if you do. So you try and bury them. So you get an arm sticking out of the trench, which is your buddy. I mean, this is like, and it smells so fetid, so awful, you have to go to the bathroom, but you have no place to go, because the moment you leave the trench is the moment you're a dead man, and you have artillery shells booming around you with little uh, shrapnels uh, flying off and, and taking people out all around you. So you got screams, you got hollers, you got moans, you got dead bodies, and... Uh, singing amidst the falling artillery shells just doesn't seem like what most people would want to do. However, cacopatheo as a good soldier. You're entering into difficulty. Are you ready for it? Are you ready to be a good soldier in the midst of the cacopatheo that is in front of us? See, if you already are predisposed to sing and to smile and to crack jokes in the darkest hour, and to actually embrace the difficulty and say, this is going to be amazing. Watch what God does. Watch how God uses this. God is with us. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I do not fear right now. You see, if you are ready for this, it doesn't take you out. I said this, I want to say, maybe it was during a sermon, maybe it was Daily Thunder. But if you're well-studied for a test, you don't fear the test. If you're unprepared for a test, you hate tests. So many of us, When we think of tests, I go, tests, tests, I hate tests. But if you're ready for the test, bring the test on, come on. Uh, When when you have memorized all of those flashcards and you know them, what do you want? You want someone in your family to test you on them. Why? So that you can prove that you know them. So that they can say, wow, you got them all right. And you're like, "Eh, that's right, I did. (laughs) You see, you want to be tested when you're ready. Ready? I have a hunch one of the reasons we don't want to be tested is because I don't know that we feel we're ready. So what if we were to be steeled for action? If you're steeled, you know you're steeled. You're ready. How about this one, guys? Sleep in the mud hole like a prince in his royal bed. Oh, this is nice. Now what's funny, this is touching me too. I don't even like camping, you know, like tent camping, okay? If it's like in a hotel and we call it camping. That's not bad. You know, I I could do that. But camping is so uncomfortable for me. I always get that rock, you know, beneath my back, and it's like, ah, it's just, and I don't sleep at all the whole night, and the whole while I'm saying, why am I doing this? I'm doing it for the kids, the kids. This is for the kids. But I am not embracing it always. I I usually have a little grumble in my soul, and I'm not embracing it as a good soldier. I'm facing some cacapatheo, and some of you are like, Camping's fun. That's because you're embracing your cacopatheo properly. You see, we all probably have areas of strength where we're doing it well. I have all sorts of cacapatheo in my life, which I embrace well. My camping has been one of my weaknesses, right? But however, that is something that, why not? Treat my tent with the rock beneath my back and no sleep all night as a royal prince's bed. Ah, this is nice. Thank you, Lord, for treating me so wonderfully. My soldier dreams. So this is from seven years ago, and I dug it up for this because I don't know. This is it still catches me so funny when I when I I read this over, and it brings it back. I mean, it's weird because I've had tons. I dream every night, right? But I don't remember hardly any dreams. And every now and then, I'll have these dreams that I don't just remember. I remember them years later, like this one, seven years ago, and I remember it vividly, and I remember its impact upon me vividly. And so I'm going to bring you into it, and it's rather embarrassing for me, but it's still fun, and it fits. Seven years ago, I had a funny dream. In my dream, I decided that I wanted to join the Army. However, before I could join, I had to first ensure that my work with the Army would still allow me to fulfill my commitments here at Ellerslie. I mean, that's reasonable. (laughs) So as the dream unfolded, I showed up at an Army recruitment desk. I mentioned to the officer sitting behind the desk that I would like to join the Army, but that I already had other commitments. I explained these other commitments, and he seemed very excited to have me join and said that we could certainly make it work. In the dream, I thought to myself, I bet they are desperate for strong leaders like me. <laughs> Everything in this is like a setup for Eric. I mean, this is, gonna be, this is horrible. So from there, I was invited into a big courtyard where 80 men were waiting. Almost immediately upon my arrival into the courtyard, an officer stood up in front of everyone and began talking. He mentioned the various places the 80 recruits surrounding him were from. I guess that he may have heard about my special circumstances and my willingness to serve in the army. And as a result, he might happen to mention it to the other men as a good example. you know, here's what's interesting is I still remember the dream and I still remember having that thought in the dream. Isn't that horrible? It's mortifying to me. But to my chagrin, he never brought it up. It's like, hey, you're mentioning all these other guys, but I am like, hard working, dealing with leading this organization, I'm on my time, you know, coming over here to say I'd like to serve the army. He doesn't even mention it. What? Then he started saying army things. I have that in quotes because I didn't understand what he was talking about. It's like someone who grew up in the military world would maybe understand him. I had no idea what he was talking about. So they were army things. And some of the men were expectant for this and were instant and vigorous in their responses. They seemed to know what he was doing and eagerly participated in in his banter. They raised their hands at times that I wouldn't even think of raising my hand. I.e., the officer said jokingly, I'm assuming you're all Christians. To me, this was a joke. But there was a whole group that immediately raised their hands and kept them up, declaring that they were Christians. After a few seconds, I felt awkward that my hand wasn't up, so I raised it half-heartedly to indicate that, yes, I was one too. Then the officer asked, somewhat muffled and cryptically, for some of the men to go with him to do something undefined. Ten men sprinted to him. I wasn't even considering going. After all, I didn't understand his muffled request. Then the officer simply said, More! So others around me started moving, and I found myself moving too. Now I was a part of this smaller group. The officer had said something, and I kind of nodded my understanding, but the guy next to me belted out, Sir, yes, sir! Sir! I remember thinking that it seemed a bit overdone to be yelling that, seeing as how we had just started and we hadn't even been asked to say that yet. In other words, my pride was struck. These guys were so outperforming me. I was like behind, they were responding instantly and I'm like justifying why, you know, hey, you know, he didn't even tell me to do that. No one said say sir, yes, sir. I mean, so I'm not expected to say it. You know, why? when someone says, I'm assuming you're all Christians, that doesn't mean I raise my hand and then keep it up like this. And so all of these things were making me look bad. I mean, I'm I'm an important guy where I come from and I feel like a joke around here. Hey, come on guys, don't look down on me just because I don't know all your army lingo. But everyone was ready to do something. This is an undefined task and all these guys are sprinting forward. Hey, have them tell us what the task is before we sprint. They just sprint. Their officer is asking them for readiness. They're ready. I wasn't. I came in thinking I was kind of special. And to my humiliation, all these punk kids were outshining me right off. And so I found myself justifying why such givenness and readiness was unnecessary in this situation. Next, the officer laid on the ground. This was awkward. Without explanation, the group fell to the ground and did as he did. I was thinking, how juvenile. Juvenile. But I did it. I realized that all my college presidenting and my church pastoring had not not quite prepared me for this exercise in humility and lowly mimicking. If my king goes to the ground, I go to the ground. If he stands up, I stand up. If he runs, I run. If he jumps, I jump. If he raises his hand, I raise my hand. Sir, yes, sir. You see, I wasn't ready. And I woke up from this shaken which is why seven years away from it, I still remember it and I'm still like mortified of how bad that went. It's like I was thinking I was doing such a noble thing by you know, allowing the army to recruit me. I mean, what a privilege for them. How many of us approach the kingdom of heaven that way? It's like, God, I'm here. Okay, I'm willing to help you. I got a lot of other stuff going on, but I'm willing to part-time be in your army. And we have to be fully in. We have to study the system. We have to know the army language. We have to be ready to do. When he asks anything, it is sir, yes, sir. The good soldier in the Old Testament. There's a good soldier in the Old Testament. Of course, there's more than one, but this is an interesting picture. 2 Samuel eleven eight 8 through 11. Uriah departed from the king's house. So David is in sort of a bad mode in his life, if you guys remember that story uh, with Bathsheba. And Uriah, he needs to somehow cover his sin. And so he's going to bring Uriah back from the battle, and he's expecting Uriah to think selfishly, to go back to his home, to spend time with his family and his wife, and maybe that will cover up his sin. Instead, Uriah is a good soldier. Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Okay, that's an impressive soldier right there. The good soldier mentality. So here, this is in the World War II. This is just a letter written in World War II that I have always found extremely... Fa- I say World War II, the Civil War, sorry. Outskirts of Baltimore, my dear William. I can now march 20 and 25 miles a day, live on short rations of hardtack, raw, rancid bacon, green roasting ears, and cold water, sleep out in the rain, having no more than an army coat over me, and enjoy myself capitally. Edward Hastings Ripley, Ripley, Union Soldier, 1861. Isn't that great? You see, there's something that he is learning. I don't think he started this way. However, he's embracing soldier life instead of rejecting it. And as a result, he's able to endure hardness with great enjoyment. And this is, can be a statement of so many soldiers throughout the decades, throughout the years, throughout the centuries, that if you were to study soldiering, you would recognize that there's a camaraderie in soldiering which men would say the greatest years of their life were when they were in the most difficult situations. It bonded them together. It taught them more in that little subsection of their life than any other time in their life. It made them who they are. How does a good soldier function? So we have a lot of different statements in Scripture for good soldiering. Stand fast. That's in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. A lot of these have multiple Scriptures. I just put one with each one. Hold fast. Hebrews 3.6. Stand firm, Ephesians six fourteen. Be brave, 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Be bold, Ephesians three twelve. Be courageous, Joshua one seven. Don't shrink back, Hebrews 10.39. Don't grow weary, Galatians 6.9. Keep going, 2 Thessalonians 3.13. Keep moving, Hebrews 12.13. Persevere, Revelations 3.10. Endure, 2 Timothy 2.12. Rejoice, Philippians 4.4. 4. And leap for joy. Oh, for, for some of us, it actually could help. So I added another option. Give a fist pump of joy. Okay, that's sort of the same thing, isn't it? It's like, oh yeah! See, isn't that sort of like a leap? And that's you know that, that might be more comfortable for us in America, because not a lot of us do leap. I have been practicing my leap, but just for those of you that need to have maybe easier access to this, that's Luke 6.23. The World War II soldier. Dan McConaughey sent this to me a while back. I, I, I've really uh, appreciated it. Army Regulation 600-10. This is posted the 2nd of June, 1942, so it's in the middle of World War II. World War II is going to start in 1939. It's going to end in 1945. Military discipline is that mental attitude and state of training which renders obedience instinctive under all conditions. So if you are being disciplined in a military sense, it is going to render obedience instinctive under all conditions. In other words, if it's instinctive, it's not... It's actually... Not instinctive to go run the opposite way or to rebel or to do something different. It's instinctive to do exactly what you're asked to do, and that's the culture they're wanting to create in the military. It is founded upon respect for and loyalty to properly constituted authority. While it is developed primarily by military drill, every feature of military life has its effects on military discipline. It is generally indicated in an individual or unit by smartness of appearance and action, by cleanliness and neatness of dress, equipment or quarters, by respect for seniors, listen to this, and by prompt and cheerful execution by subordinates of both the letter and the spirit of legal orders of their lawful superiors. Prompt and cheerful execution. In other words, we need to be ready for action. That's my main desire as Christians is that we are built to do what Christians do as opposed to think high thoughts about what Christians are supposed to do. Because that's where most of us are at. We think high thoughts, noble thoughts, true thoughts, about how Christians are supposed to behave. And then when the opportunity comes to behave that way and to do that, we don't do it. And then we say, well, you know, I just wasn't ready for that. And yet, what we are being groomed for, if we were being sent out in the military, could you imagine, this is the time you aim your gun, this is the time you shoot your gun at the enemy. Yeah, well, I just didn't feel like I was ready for it. That's why I didn't do it. Yeah, and five of your fellow soldiers just died because of it. In other words, we are built for battle. God is not accidentally investing in us, maybe thinking one day one of us out of here may end up in a battle. We are all in a battle, and we are all in a critical time period in history where we must be readied, roused from our stupor, and fixed on a point of agenda, God's agenda, where we are ready... To act, ready to do. The supernatural yes. To say yes to our commander when things are difficult, unpleasant, challenging, painful, risky, all these things, is not normal. Which is why you need a supernatural impetus. You need something from outside of yourself that's going to lift you above your own ability. It's called the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is supposed to live inside of you, and he is ready to push. He's ready to enable if we would agree with him, if we would yield to him. So I'm going to call this the supernatural yes. It's a yes not given out of human power, but out of faith, total dependence, and trust in God's ability to save. Now, I don't know if I can easily explain this, but this is, it's like this, idea that I have, but I'm still struggling to get that idea out through my mouth and to clarify it. Like, I I may still need some metaphor for it. But there's a confidence, there, there are things that I, that God asks me to do that I could panic about. I could say, no, I'm not doing it. Or I could agree and say yes to it, even though I know it would have to be a supernatural enablement to make it happen. And I want to say, just welcome to my life. This is how it works. There was a point last week, I don't know if it was like Thursday or something, I was struggling because I knew I needed to have 10 messages done, 10 messages, do I need to emphasize the number again, within like a couple days, and I didn't have any extra time in those days. Okay, so there's a reason why Philip preached last Sunday. That took care of one. So then I had nine. And as a result... I had an impossibility sticking in front of me, and I could either throw my hands up and say, I quit, or I could say, Lord, do what you keep doing. All throughout my life, you've done it. You give me what I need to move forward and fulfill the assignment I have, even if it's difficult, even if it falls into the impossible category. You know, and Eric Lutie just happens to fall into a, a realm where I don't like to give schlock. If I'm going to teach something or preach something, I would like to think it through. I mean, technically, God, could I do that? Could I, could I organize it so that it actually comes out with a little polish? And sometimes I've had to trust God without having the opportunity to polish something. That's really hard for me. There was a situation this last week where I was uh, thinking that Hudson and I were leaving for the airport. We were in New York at the lamplighter Guild, And so I was done. I'd spoken there a couple times, and we were just transitioning out. Everyone was in classes. And I was sitting out on the patio of their uh, little like, coffee shop area, and so I was talking to the uh, his Mark Hamby's executive assistant. I was like, "Yeah, so I think Hudson and I need to get to the airport." And she went in and checked. She goes, "No, actually, uh, you can you have another fifty minutes." So I had fifty minutes, and so I sat down and uh, you know I had my computer, I'll get some work done, you know, because I could always get work done. And Mark Hamby, I don't know if he caught wind that I was there for 50 minutes. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but somehow he realized I was still in town, and they had had a a problem on their end, something to do with an audio script for one of their audio dramas that uh, they didn't get done. So he comes up to me. I have 50 minutes, and he says, Eric, could you do something for me? Okay, key moment. Eric, would you fulfill a task for me? As long as it's just a task, sure, but when you stick an adjective in front of that task, Oh, I may hesitate, right? He just asked me, can I do something for him? What's my answer going to be? Of course, yes. What can I do for you? Could you write a a three to five minute audio drama script before you leave? (laughs) And he he gave me the topic on your sermon that you gave last night. No storyline. He says, maybe with like two to three characters in it. So now it went from task to impossible task. (laughs) I mean, any one of you that has ever written a story or a script, I mean, 50 minutes to put together a three to five, and that's like three to five pages, okay? That's like, uh, you have to be a typist, which I am, but I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I'm just going to spend my time just typing, let alone thinking, let alone strategizing what this can be. And here's, here's this key moment. This is what I mean. This entire message could be summarized in this moment. I am staring at what he's saying, and I'm thinking, he's saying it with a straight face, as if this is totally normal. I know what he's saying is absolutely ridiculous. I'll do it. At 301, we had to leave it three. At 301, I sent it. I never even proofread it. I literally just typed, push send, gulped a few times, and got went towards the airport. You know, that was literally the challenge. For Eric Ludi, that is a test at a very deep level, not to write something. That's not my challenge. Not to tell a story. That's not my challenge. It's to do something imperfect and then to send it. Leslie and I know very, very well, the rule number one of being an author, never send in an unedited text because then everyone's like, oh, well, you know, this one, this, here, here's how we learned this. Our, our publisher was like, yeah, could you just send where you're at so far? I go, well, it's, well, it's not finished. It doesn't have an ending yet. Yeah, but just send it to me. Then I can get an idea where you're at. It's like, well, I feel uncomfortable with that. Could you please do that? That would help me sort of know where you guys are at. All right, we're going to send it, but it doesn't have an end on it. And then we send it, and then you know what his feedback is? You know, it's, it's really good, except for it's missing an end. What do you, what do you think I told you five times? <laughs> and so as a result, it makes you feel a little insecure. The yes, the supernatural yes. Yes, I will do that. Not because you have the capacity but because God has the capacity. So I want you to think in your life of all those points where you say, no, 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 I, I, don't, I can't do that. No, I, no, I don't wanna do that. Instead, I want you to begin to move towards a supernatural yes. Yes, I'll do that. Not because you can, but because he can. So here I'm gonna talk about a, a supernatural yes in my past. We'll give a little miniature story here, which I've shared during the semester. It's a good story. That is what's called the giving up of my tuition. So I was in a missionary training school, and my tuition was paid. And they allow students to remain in this program uh, that haven't had a full payment. You know, they might have to have a deposit or something for a certain window of time. I don't know how many weeks it is. Maybe let's just say three. Three weeks. And if they haven't paid in full at the end of three weeks, then they are removed from the program. Okay? So it's some kind of grace period. So I found out that there was a girl that was going to be removed from the program. And I didn't really know the girl at all, but God was using this situation in a profound way. I was up early one morning and I was praying, God, you know, I want to serve you. I want to say yes to hard things. I'm ready to follow you. And I felt like God gave me a very clear assignment. Give up my tuition and give it to her and take her position, which was debt. And I know some of you are like, this sounds very unwise. Well, I'm sure that was exactly what was going through my head too. And so I was really struggling with this. And I remember reading Oswald Chambers that morning, December 1st, uh, and it said, if we deliberately choose to obey God, he will tax the remotest star in the last grain of sand to assist us with all his almighty power. Okay, that's enough for me. So then I went to the leadership, expecting the leadership to say, no, we wouldn't allow that. You know what the leadership said? Okay. And I was like, what? What? And so suddenly, I was the one being removed from the program. And so I remember no one knew, and I remember hearing the shouts of joy for this one girl as she came and said, someone paid my tuition. Meanwhile, I'm like in a devastated position where it's like the reality of that yes was like sinking in at a very deep level. I wasn't just out of the program. I had debt. I owed what she owed. It's like, what in the world did I just sign up for? But to the best I knew, I was heeding God. And now I was dealing with the residual effects of impossibility. And impossibility isn't that enjoyable, to be honest with you. Difficulty, pain, unpleasantness, you know, none of us really like that stuff. And yet, I'm going to say any time we've ever willingly entered this territory, this zone, that's when we grow faster than any other time in our life. This is my growth zone right here, guys. I have obeyed God. Now I'm in a difficult situation. And I, at this time, had a very, very specific burden in my soul that I was not supposed to tell people about my needs, but I was supposed to take them before the throne of grace. Okay, I still hold that, but I also know that God can overrule that and say, talk to that person. So, But at this time, I didn't have that freedom or that luxury to mention it to anyone. So now I'm in a situation, no one knows about it, and I'm in a, I'm in bad straits, okay? I'm just a young guy. I don't have a lot of connections. Uh, You know, I don't even know who to pray for that could be moved on by God to do something about this. It's not like I had a wide range of influence. It's like, oh, yeah, I have a whole bunch of people. God, speak to all those people and move them all. It's like, speak to the three people in my life and try and stir them up and say, Eric needs help. Do something. So that was a supernatural yes. Uh, But now let's look at, there's another side to this. It's a supernatural no. Do you know that it can take just, as, well, take just as much? It takes the same spirit to say yes as it does to say no. Or I could say it takes the same spirit to say no as it does to say yes. It is hard to say no sometimes. Ironically, it's very easy to say no to God for many of us. It's strangely easy to do that. It's like, no, no, God, I can't do that for you. But we will say yes to what the enemy is baiting us towards all the time. It's like, be silent right now. Okay? Okay, I'll be silent. He's wanting us to cower. He's wanting us to withdraw, to shrink back. God is saying, I want you to hold fast, to stand firm. And we say no to God, and we say yes to the devil. We need a supernatural no, because the devil is going to bait us to go in a different direction. He's going to woo us with temptations, with enticements. No! There is no compromise in the Christian life. My yes is for Jesus. I give no yeses to the devil. The devil receives my no. So a no not given out of human power, but out of faith, total dependence, and trust in God's ability to save. So here is the no in my life, the supernatural no. My subtitle is the giving up of the human solution. So this is just sort of cutting to the chase in this whole story. This is quite the drama for me. This little zone that is being created because of my obedience, because of my yes, has created a crisis or a trial in my soul. I am now suddenly enduring hardness. And I wanted to endure hardness as a good soldier, but boy, did I feel weak as I was walking through this. No, I didn't tell anyone about my need. And so out of, I had had a supernatural supply, I'm not going into that story, sorry, that actually paid for my tuition, okay? So that's that's a whole story in and of itself, and I had watched God supernaturally sustain me. But then, out of this missionary school, everyone is gonna go all over the world on missions trips. And so they, the whole time I was just trying to survive and you know deal with my debt uh, in attending this, they're all raising money to go overseas, and they feel completely fine going out and asking people for money. I didn't have such a privilege. God is doing something in my soul, which was very, very difficult for me. And so the last day came when I had to have the payment for my, my upcoming missions trip. I didn't have it. And I remember we were in uh, Midland, Texas, and I was staying with this very wealthy man who had a runway, had an airport on his property. And I just knew God was going to supply through this guy. And so I'm praying, like, God, wake him up in the night, you know, speak to him in the, you know, in some fashion to say, Eric needs money. And I still remember at the church, the final night, you know, for the community, we had a, a service and everyone, we were literally going in all these different directions the next day. And that guy was in the audience, and I was even playing a song and singing. I just knew God was going to speak to him right now. I mean, this is when he speaks to him right now. See this guy? Poor, in need of money. Be moved. (laughs) And I expected him to, you know, give me a handshake, you know, and sort of slip some money into my hand. And it's like, thank you. No, I had it all envisioned of how this was going to work. He left, and I still remember, it's like, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Oh, yeah, he wanted to let you know that... uh, he really enjoyed having you at his house, and uh, they just wanted to say God's blessings to you. And I wanted to say, any envelope? No envelope. There's nothing. And I am in a very, very difficult situation because that was my supply, in my mind. That was the supply. And I remember going out to the parking lot. There was one car left in the parking lot. Everyone was leaving. This was, and everyone is in there dealing with their finances, with the, uh, the leadership, you know, sort of reckoning their, their, their account and, and just getting it uh, balanced and one car left, and I knew the guy, and he was a father of one of the, the students that I was good friends with. And he gets out of the car, he sees me standing there sort of in the dark under the, the, the lamp, and he says, Eric, uh, is there anything you need? Okay, now what's, what's my relationship with God at this situation? I can't tell a man what my need is. That's, that's just the relationship I had with God in this hour of my life. And so I am going to have to reserve something, which is the bait to say, tell him your story. Beg him for money. Instead, here's what I said. Uh, Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, God's in control. That was what I said. And he drives off. Parking lot is empty. I don't have my money. Did God fail me? I go back in. Uh, to sit down with the leadership, and I sit down across from the guy. He has his books open. This is in the days when everything was handwritten. And uh, so says Eric Lutie. Let's see here. And I go, I don't have it. I don't have it. He's looking at. Me, he's going, what? I, I don't have it. He goes, What do you mean you don't have it? Your account was paid in full three days ago. Are you serious? The whole while I'm going through this test, it's already supplied. How often times are we going through the same thing? You see, we question God's ability when the whole time, he's got the ram in the thicket, guys. He's in control of the ram. You're not. Don't try and manipulate rams to get caught in thickets. Your job is to trust your God. And sometimes you have to give the supernatural yes. Yes, Lord, I'll give up the tuition. And sometimes you have to give the supernatural No, no. I'm not going to ask for any money in this situation because I trust that my God is in control. Ah, this is difficult. But this is being steeled. To actually move forward, every time you obey, more steel is plated on that sword. You become stronger with every test. But to get strong, you have to start moving. You have to start agreeing with God. drizomai, good Greek word, really, it truly just means be a man. That's what it means. But it's the ready yes for difficult tasks, the ready no toward any bait of compromise. So here it is in First Corinthians. Uh, Watch ye stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, and rizomai. be strong. I always like the King James version of this because it says quit ye like men. I just think that is about as cool as it gets. Steeled for action. This is what it means. Resolute and strong to move into difficulty or stand against the barrage of compromise. So you have to have the yes and you have to have the no. You have the yes for moving into difficulty. And you have the no to stand against the barrage of compromise. No, I will not compromise my soul. Yes, I will go where you asked me to go, Lord Jesus. Philippians 4.1, stand stand fast. In the Lord. I like that. That's sort of old language, the term fast, but stand strong. Hold yourself together. This is like a commission to your soul to actually stand firm, stand fast, hold the line, don't budge from that position. Stand immovable. First Thessalonians 3 8 For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now that's uh, this word egretia, egretumai I think is actually the word here, but it's from that basis which we use for self-control. But that means they are held together, minimizing that voice that would complain about difficulty, about pain, about unpleasantness, and saying, no, you will not control my life. And you are allowing the spirit of God to rule, so you're egrotema. Egrute, to my sorry guys, in all things, you actually are composed and controlled to obey God. You are not allowing that voice that is diminishing the work of God's. But you can't do that. But what? What? Look, what could happen to you? No, you will not rule my life. No. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus. He runs this way. This is how he lives his life. Not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Jesus is the head of the body. And he brings us into subjection. So that the body agrees with the head. So when the head says something, the body does that something. It just makes sense. Wouldn't it be a weird body if the head is like, okay, hand, pick up the, you know, the fork and bring it to the mouth. And the, the hand's like, no. It's like, uh-oh, we have problems here. we got some rebellion uh, on, our hand, on our hands, no pun intended. <laughs> and so as a result, a body can't work without that integrity. That's called integrity. It's the movement of oneness. It's agreement with one opinion, with one design, so that my body is in agreement with the head. And as a result, there's integrity in this life. And if the head says, this is what we're going after, the body says, we're going after that. And if the, if the head says, and we're staying away from this, the body says, yes, we're staying away from that. That's what it means to bring the body into subjection. So Jesus does that with us, and we do that with our body. So that our body is in agreement. So if Jesus is saying, it's time to open that mouth and speak, what do we do? We do not listen to all of the cacophony on the side going, but if we do, what about this? We say, shut up. Speak, mouth. You have to be in agreement with God and be aggressive with this body. This body does not bully you around. You bully your body around. Your mouth doesn't speak back to you. You speak to your mouth and say, speak. This tongue is under the governance of the Spirit of God. And I am the one who's put as the steward over the body with his authority. So, sexuality, appetites, sleep, all these things, you are now under new management. You've been living as you, ought, you think you ought to live, but now you're going to live as Jesus wants you to live. 2 Samuel ten twelve: Be of good courage. This is uh, Joab speaking to his troops. I've always liked this statement. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people, and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seems him good. Let's play the men. Uh, I like that. Second Timothy 2.3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Agreeing to the uncomfortable. Okay, imagine that we were to actually just come to a place where we agree with God. So we don't argue anymore. We just finally settle it in our soul, and we agree to the uncomfortable. The uncomfortable is a part of our life as Christians. Instead of listening to this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is going to say, no, any discomfort is from the devil. Well, I'm not saying the devil's not trying to bring discomfort. I'm not going to argue that. However, we accept the fact that in our lives, because we are soldiers, we're going to have discomfort. And we accept it. And we have already pre chosen that when we get to that discomfort, we're going to sing a little tune. You can even write yourself your own tune that you can sing in that moment. You're also going to agree to the awkward. Right now, you might as well agree to it instead of trying to avoid the awkward as if it's a plague. To recognize that the awkward is is the place in which God's grace works. I happen to have a strange attraction to awkward. I don't know if you guys have ever noted that about me. I don't mind saying things that cause people to go, "Oh boy, that's a little awkward." It's like I like it. It's a it's a secret little delight that I have. And I like being in awkward conversations, too, where people are like a little, you know, strange, and it's like, oh, how are we, we going to deal with that? we got an elephant that just sort of showed up in the middle of the room. It's like Eric gets sort of like that twinkle in his eyes like, this is fun. <laughs> However, there are awkward moments when I don't prefer awkward, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. And sharing the gospel has had so many awkward moments. When I'm sharing the gospel, I want to sound intelligent. I want to sound reasonable. I want to sound compelling, and there's been some situations where people are looking at me saying, you are an absolute idiot. And it, to be honest, that's not fun awkward, okay? That's, it's awkward, but it's not fun awkward. No, this isn't the awkward I like. Can we get back to that other awkward? I remember coming up to this lady and I had one of those million dollar bills, uh, or maybe it was a 10 million dollar bill, I don't know, it was one of those Ray Comfort bills, and well, Philip, were you there during that situation? And I just I stood up from the table, I walked over to this lady, and I said, hey, uh, here's, here's a million dollar bill, I don't remember what it was, And she was so upset with me because she thought I was giving her charity. She's like, I don't need your money. I go, well, this actually isn't money. I don't need you. Do I look like I need your money? It was terrible, terrible situation. And there's Philip over there chuckling to himself. (laughs) So we agree ahead of time to the awkward. We agree ahead of time to the difficult. We agree ahead of time to the painful. We agree ahead of time to the risky. We agree ahead of time to the unpleasant. Those are no longer our enemies. We do not look at those as things that we say, oh, no, never, never, never. No, we say, no, I've already agreed to this. This is gonna be part of my life. The line of agreement. On one side is human power, on the other side is grace. You ever had it where you recognize that there is a line? It's the best way to describe it. It's a line of agreement, where when you agree with God, you step across that line. Over here, when you step across that line, you're gonna find grace to now do it. If you've ever just stepped out to speak to someone about Jesus, you recognize that even though when you're over here on the line uh, on the left side, I have it on the left side, and that's like in your own power, you just are, you're scared to death about doing it. But when you just say, yes, I'll, I'll do it, and you move over here, it doesn't remove the awkward always, but it does give you grace. And there are times when you get done doing it, you're like, God was with me. It's profound, and it draws you closer to him. In fact, you can enjoy even the most challenging situations. Yes, I'll do it. So I want you to ponder that quote in your own soul. Yes, I'll do it. Now, at Ellerslie, we've called it the pre-decided yes. In other words, where you're saying this to what God has not even asked you yet. You haven't even gotten the request. You're like, well, I can't say yes, I'll do it if I don't know what he's going to ask. Are you sure about that? Because that's what a bond servant is. You guys know what it means to have your ear pierced? It means you're saying ahead of time that whatever you ask, my answer will be Yes. So if you have your ear pierced, if you have come unto your master and said, Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to do as you would ask. And this is what Christianity is in a nutshell. It is giving the ear of obedience unto our master even before he asks us. Yes, you are deserving. Yes, you are worthy. So yes is my answer. Yes, I will do it. Agreeing to carry an impossible weight because that's when God's grace unfurls remember David, remember Joshua, remember Benaiah, each one of these guys is going to steal themselves for action. I mean, David is, this guy is so remarkable to me. I love studying David. But he's, the entire nation of Israel is trembling before Goliath, and he is going to step out and steal himself and say yes to God. Is there not a cause? Well, if the answer to is there not a cause is yes, well, then what should a man do? A man should stand up if there's a cause. So then if there's a cause, he should volunteer himself as a solution. If no one else is going to do it, then okay, I am willing. And then he's not just going to be willing, he's going to do it. You ever had that difference where you're like willing to do something and then you're just praying your, you know, your heart out that God won't actually ask you to do it? But David is going to step out onto the field of battle and challenge the man-beast. And then he's going to actually sprint This is a remarkable picture for our own souls. I want that. Joshobium, 800 Philistines all by himself. Could you imagine that moment? If, If you could ever come up with a rationalization or a justification not to fight, that would be a good one. The odds are just too immense. 800 to 1, and he's going to fight them and Win. If that's not remarkable, I don't know what is. Beniah, he is going to see an impossibility. A li- it's a snowy day, okay? There's a, a lion in a pit. For all practical purposes, we should all just stay away f- from the pit. It's a pit. It's a snowy day. You go, whoa, and slip in there, right? And so you just stay away from the pit. But he sees a lion in the pit, and he jumps in. And there's something about that that is very attractive to my soul, because God seems to even mention it in Scripture on purpose. Like, do you see that? Guys, do you see how Beniah is working here? This is something I want in your soul. He is literally setting himself up for impossible situations so that he can prove the power of his God. And so it's like one degree beyond just saying yes, it's willingness to go into greater challenge to showcase the power of God. And this is how we're going to finish, because it's a good way to finish. Remember Jesus everything that we're talking about is going to be Jesus Christ. And of course, it's hard to think of Jesus stealing himself because he's just God, right? He's ready for everything and, and, and all. However, the deliberate decisions that he is going to make to enter into difficulty, I mean, everything from leaving his high and holy position to come into the womb of a woman to start with, extraordinary. But then when you go all the way through his life, which is full Of moments where he is going to deliberately do that which he knows will bring about the antagonism of the culture in which he's in, both from Romans and both from Jews. And he is going to deliberately do it because he is stirring something up. He is awakening a people. He is making a statement on this earth. And then, even in Gethsemane, when he is feeling the human frailty, he is going to have a supernatural yes. He is going to say no to the own bait of his humanity to decline the commission. And he is going to say yes to the kingdom pattern, to the Father's will. Yes, Lord, not my will, but thine. He's going to deal out the supernatural no and give the supernatural yes. Incredible. He is our model. And guess what, guys? Brace yourselves for this one. He lives inside of us as the church. It's not our resolution it's his resolution. It's, have you ever heard the phrase, the faith of the Son of God? It is like the resolution of the Son of God that we lean on. It is the power of the Son of God. It's not the power of Eric Ludi. It's not the resolve of Eric Ludi. It's the power and the resolve of Jesus Christ living inside of me via the Holy Spirit that enables me to do things. And I agree with his resolution. I allow him to use this body, because he's the head, to do impossible, difficult things that if I'm left to my own devices, I would never do, because I'm a human. Humans can't do that. But Christians, they're more than just humans. They're humans with God living inside of them. That is a difference, guys. It's a game changer. Let's cherish it, and let's utilize it. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.